This is the Reading Teacher's Lounge, where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy soul sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. Welcome to the Reading Teacher's Lounge. This is season four, episode 11. I am Shannon Betts, and I'm here with my co-host, Mary Sagafi. And we have a very special guest today with us. Her name is Christina Edmondson. We met her on Instagram. She is Literacy with Mrs. E, and we asked her to come on the air and talk with us today about sound walls, because she knows a lot about more about sound walls than we do. So welcome to the Reading Teacher's Lounge, Christina. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. We are so happy to have you join us today, Christina. So, um, you know, we met you on Instagram, but let's um, introduce you to our listeners. So if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and some of the work that you do within the world of literacy, we'll get to know you. So I am currently a reading interventionist at a charter school in Philly. I absolutely love living here in Philadelphia. I moved here about five years ago, Um, but I have the privilege of working primarily with first to third graders. um, And I also support kindergartners within our building as well. Um, I have been teaching since 2015. And so I've actually only been in this role as a reading interventionist for two years. before this, I have taught literally every grade from kindergarten to third grade. So I really saw the the gamut of need within our classrooms, um, which led me to become letters trained in 2017. And then this past year, I completed the classroom level of Orrin Gillingham. And I'm excited because I just registered for the associate level this June. So I'm excited to learn a lot more about morphemes and morphology come June. Congratulations. That's great. I've also completed the 70 hour training too. And, um, I've been practicing it and I have yet to establish my whole, um, uh, associate degree. It's so funny. As soon as I got trained, then the babies came and then, (laughs) and then life kind of just happened, but I have maintained my, um, OG status. So I'm just waiting for that perfect kid so that my fellow can come on over and, um, and kind of mentor me. So there's after your teacher training, if you haven't done um, or you aren't familiar with the OG training, there's about a nine month program where you are working with an individual student and then a fellow works with you and they have to um, check your work and your status. And it's, it is quite an ordeal to be an associate level trained Orton Gillingham specialist. So um, parents, if you are on the lookout for specialists, if they have the associate level, um, they should be charging you a nominal amount because they have had a lot of training and you will know that you are working with some of the very best of the best. It's very difficult to complete that level of training. So hats off to you. Can't wait to hear about the process. That's awesome. Yes, I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited to complete this training and do my practicum this next school year. I like that you're getting a lot of practical based training in your early on in your career because I went right to my master's and honestly I did that because I wanted more pay pretty quickly (laughs) in my career but I I didn't get the reading training I mean I still actually haven't taken all the reading training all the stuff I talk about on the podcast is just learned through experience but um I actually priced and talked to a letters trainer the other day we're going to use some title two money I convinced my principal to let us do letters. So we're going to start it hopefully this spring or this summer. That is amazing. Congratulations. You can't do it uh, on your own. I've been trying for two years to do it on my own. I kept calling letters and just saying, I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. But you have to do it through a school. Well, interesting. I didn't know. So anyway, yeah. I'm excited about that. I so know. tell us what is a sound wall? Did you learn about it in letters or did you discover yeah. it some other way? No, I did learn about it in letters. I love that you asked that. Um, I will probably talk about letters forever and ever and ever. Um, It is my favorite thing in the world because I, so I actually have my master's. I have my master's in educational leadership. um, And I've thought about going back and getting my master's in reading science. um, But I have learned so much through these 
trainings that I feel like it's the equivalent of a reading masters without the title or without the formal paper. So, um, that's how knowledgeable I feel I have become from taking these trainings. You all can't see us, but we're just nodding vigorously in the background. Shannon and I yeah. are nodding. Well, no, I was trying to sell a colleague. Like I want him to do the letters training with me. And he said, oh, but I'm about to go into grad school next year. And I feel like it's going to be too overwhelming. And I said, well, what are you going to go to grad school for? And he said, for reading. And I said, you just contact the grad school and you tell them you're going to maybe do letters training through the school, because I guarantee you it's the, it's like graduate level training. Like you're going to do 80 hours of training. Like some of it might count for your coursework. I don't know, but just talk it over with them because this is valuable stuff and the school's going to pay for it. And you want it you want to do this with me, trust me. Yes, 100%. So I learned about Soundwalls in 2017. Um, and it was really kind of the first time that I had ever thought of our, our, lang- our English lang- language as a speech to print system. Um, it was really an eye-opening thing for me to kind of realize, oh, we should be organizing our, our, our sound walls, our walls like this, because we want to help students draw their attention to how we articulate the sound first and then associate the sound to the spelling. And so really we, when we think about sound walls, there are two different kinds of buckets. The first bucket is what we typically call is a vowel valley. And so you'll see that uh, phrase associated with it oftentimes. And what it does is it focuses on how we say our vowel sounds in English. Um, There are 19 vowel sounds in our English language. And so instead of just having A, E, I, O, U to represent our our vowel sounds with those five letters, we articulate the different vowel sounds in different parts of our mouth. Um, And so that is really what helps us to understand, oh, there are multiple ways that we represent the spelling within our English language. And the same thing with our consonant sounds. There are 25 consonant sounds um, and we have only 26 letters in our English alphabet. So that means that we are using a finite number of symbols to represent those sounds. And so how do we articulate the sound, which then can help us to understand common confusions between uh, in students' spellings. So it really is a great way to just kind of, again, draw the attention from speech to print versus print to speech. So we've talked, we just did an episode about encoding. And that's what we were talking about in the encoding lesson was that, you know, we are speech to print. And so the students need to think about the sounds and then choose the letters to represent those sounds, but it mm-hmm. sounds intense what you're saying, because it almost like when I was picturing it, I was almost picturing someone being like linguistics or like a speech therapist office or something with just all these pictures of the sounds moving and your mouth opening and things like that. And that's very different from that traditional word wall that I had even just most recently in the last few years in my homeroom classrooms where it was just A to Z and words organized, right? So can you compare a little bit more and try to describe how a sound wall compares to a traditional word wall for our listeners who maybe haven't seen one? Yeah. So when we think about a traditional word wall, we'll see that A to Z representation on our walls, right? And we are drawn to focusing on the beginning sound of a word. But I want us to take a second and think about um, the word phone, right? If our students are sounding out the word phone, they're going to hear f, but they're going to only see that letter F representing that sound like in fish. So when they go to spell it, they may spell F-O-N-E. And it's not because they are they don't have the phonemic awareness to know that the beginning sound is it's because they don't have the grapheme or the spelling knowledge to know that pH also represents that sound. Same thing with the letter A. If you have that letter A, you have apple for that traditional ah sound, but then you also have airplane. So you have that A and then even about, right? That's that schwa sound. The A is representing the uh. Um, And so it really is 
a way to, uh, it, it can be confusing for students, right? We really want to make sure that when they are using that brave spelling, we want to encourage them to use those spelling patterns that represent those phonemes um, that they have, that they can hear within those words. But our, that 26 letter finite alphabet does not fully represent the 44 speech sounds that we have within our English language. So it really can be uh, a challenging and tricky thing to navigate for our beginning readers and spellings or spellers. When we're thinking about a sound wall, um, there are a couple of different ways that they are set up with the vowel sounds and then the consonant sounds are set up differently. Um, but what it has is it has the, the IPA symbol that we use that speech, the speech language pathologists they are amazing. They know a lot more phonetics than I ever will. But we use the symbol um, to represent the speech sound. And so, and then underneath of that, all of the different ways that we represent that speech sound is, are listed underneath of it. So for, you may have the sound, for example, and then underneath of it, you'll see the letters F and you'll see the PH. And it's organized in order from the most common spelling to the least common spelling. So if we go back to that A sound, you'll see, you'll see A, A consonant E, A, I, A, Y. And so students will have to, will be equipped with the knowledge as you instruct them to know, oh, these are the different ways that we spell this sound. And then they will have to use that mental, uh, I like to say a mental Rolodex because they have to kind of think about it, um, all the different ways and file through and select the, the proper graphene that we use to represent that sound. So it really is helping them when they're sounding out words, they can then, instead of go to a whole word on a word wall, they are now using the spelling patterns that you have taught them to spell the sound. So if they're wanting to spell, I don't know, they're wanting to spell, let's go back to that phone, right? They can look at and look, figure out which spelling they may use. And then they, they, can, they can look at O and then they can select the proper graphing to represent that sound too. So it's really a great way to draw their attention to that sound symbol connection that is so important to help facilitate that orthographic mapping process so that way they can become fluent readers and writers. You That's said the coolest phrase I've heard before, which was brave spelling. And I just like all of a sudden like pictured this little kid like wearing armor and like going up to the sound wall and like needing a tool to be brave. And But it is like, doing phonetic spelling and taking that chance like when that student says will you just tell me how to spell elephant will you just tell mm -hmm. me how to spell phone and you're like no you need to sound it out and like I never really thought about it before but that is such a brave act because you're almost asking them to get stuff wrong and take a chance and so then the sound wall helps them be more brave and give them a better chance of success I really really love that concept yeah. And then let's say you have a student. I, I had this happen to me actually on Tuesday. Um, we were spelling the word car in one of my intervention groups and they sounded out R, but they wrote K to represent the K sound instead of R. And one of the things that I learned, um, this phrase that I picked up in my Orton Gillingham training was great thinking. What's another way that we can spell that sound? And then they were able to, oh, I know how else we can spell that sound because we want to encourage our students to take those risks. You know, taking the risk to write is, we, we ask them to read and that's one thing. And then asking them to write is a whole other cognitive load that they have to take on. And so I want to create a space that facilitates them to be able to be comfortable to take those brave chances. And so instead of saying, oh, no, that's not how we spell this sound. Great thinking. What's another way? Because there are more than one. There's more than one way to spell some sounds. So it's a it's a fun, uh, fun thing to see come to fruition uh, within my my small group spaces. I love that. I think and especially when you have small group spaces like that, when you start to allow that safe place where kids can take chances that they really build on each other too. And I think that, um, it's so different 
I loved teaching in the classroom because I feel like one, you can highlight like the competitiveness of kids, but also they, they tend to really help each other out. They're like, no, think about, you know, and they'll give a keyword phrase or they'll point to, um, you know, some visual that you have in the classroom um, to encourage each other. And I loved that in my classroom where they wouldn't, they were never allowed to shout out the answer. That was one of my very big roles. Like you, even if you have to hold it in, you have to swallow it and give your friend a few seconds to come up with the answer because they, they deserve the chance to also think out loud too. So I think that um, this whole conversation about brave spelling, and it, it also leads to metacognition because kids need to have those experiences. As adults, when we're thinking, we're often thinking very fast and children are thinking not slower, but they just haven't had as much experience to go into their Rolodex as fast as we have, or have a lot of other examples that we have already established in our mind patterns. So um, giving that wait time, that great thinking, not, not, you know, shutting it down or giving the answer, I think is super, super important. Um, so I love highlighting that. Um, I was um, wondering if we could talk a little bit about how this is really a foundational or really a great example of the difference between science of reading and how this is um, one of those ways that we we can bridge the balanced literacy classroom to a science of reading classroom. So could you talk a little bit about that, how it aligns with the science? Yeah. So I think it's important to, one of the first books that I ever read post-training was Louisa Moat's Speech to Print. Um, because we are a speech to print system. When we think about the creation of alphabetic systems, they are man-made. We have not been reading and writing since the creation of our people. And even since then, right, we had these uh, picture communication systems. And so these alphabetic systems some person sometime in history decided, oh, this letter is going to represent this sound in this language. And those it's Phoenicians. Represent- <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know. Um, and, and thinking about the English language specifically, not only do our speech sounds carry or our letters carry speech sounds, they also carry meaning. And so one of the, the terms that I have picked up over the years is this term morphophonemic. Um, because we have a, a speech language that in a writing system, that means that we have uh, a deep alphabetic system that we have to decipher. And so when we're thinking about when in a, a lot of whole language classrooms, right, we're thinking about, um, we're thinking about just trying to make sure that we are drawing our students' awareness to print. And so in previous word walls, I've also seen this attention to like the shape of the letter, for example. Um, and if you have a tall box, that could mean more than one letter. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's, your student is always going to represent that sound the way that you want them to because they're, working, they're relying on the visual cues that you are providing to them. But our, our brains can only store so many words as pictures within our, within our mental dictionary, right? And so that's why you have a lot of students who confuse B, D, P, Q. Because if you think about a chair, when it's sitting upright, it's a chair, you turn it, it's a chair, you turn it again, it's a chair, and you turn it again, it's a chair. It's because they are relying on that mental image. And so our mental images only take us so far. That's why there's been a big shift from this sight word rote memorization to then drawing the attention to heart words, right? Where you're focusing first on the sound patterns um, that are, they are common and they are most familiar with. And then maybe there's only one or two parts that are going to be tricky. And so when we're thinking about a sound wall, it really is going back to, okay, I am listening with my ears first. Reading starts with your ears. And so when we're encouraging our students to say the sounds that they are, um, they're hearing in the word and then connecting the print to it, it really is going to help create longer lasting 
patterns in their brains. So that way they are able to have longer memory of that. And so eventually those connections will become solid enough that students won't have to look at a sound wall to remember what that sound is, but they'll have that like I said, that mental dictionary solidified so that way they will be able to be fluent readers and spellers. So are they mainly using it when they spell or is there a way to use the sound wall when they're reading and decoding an unfamiliar word as well? That's a great question. Um, my students in particular typically use it when primarily when they're spelling, um, but there are, depending on what uh, what sound wall you're using. Sometimes they'll have a picture that represents that sound. And so, um, and then they'll have all the different ways to spell it. So um, if you are looking at, and you have a student who is coming to a term where they're like, oh, I don't remember what this sound is. I'm trying to, I have a card. I can actually, I wish I could show you guys on the podcast, but I can show you guys. Um, but show I us. And then we can, we can all pretend at least three of us are looking at. Um, but the great thing is that then there's that picture with all the different spellings, right? And so they can go, oh, I know that this word is, is bird. I see bird er, it, and so they can make that connection. It's really helpful when, like I said, when they're spelling, but it is a great just visual cue for when they're reading as well. Okay. I think, yeah, I think you summarized that so beautifully too, um, with the science of reading and how the orthography all flows in. I see that so much once you are explicitly, and I think I need to be really careful how I say this. I often am sharing with students, um, parents, and even in school district meetings, the importance of explicit systematic phonics-based instruction. And the sound wall is basically how you can envision exactly what that looks like. The students, once they have learned their um, grapheme, that is on the wall. They know, oh, I have ownership of this. I have been taught this. Just the same way they would think that they own those sight words that were previously being taught. But in this way, we're being really systematic and explicit going through all of the phonemes that students are responsible for, matching them with the letter or the grapheme that it matches. And, and I think it's important to also conceptualize and talk a little bit about how students then can have the language for it too. So they know that TH is its own sound. It's a digraph. They can even say the word digraph and they know that those two letters actually just make one sound, which is a lot more phonics instruction than I ever received when I was a child. I just knew that TH said, except for TH doesn't just say, it can also say, so it has a breath sound. And then also um, like uh, it vibrates in your throat sound. So um, th this is a really important thing, but kids can then take ownership of it because all it is, is just labeled with whatever letter grapheme um, uh, system it is. So I won't take much more, but I loved your explanation. That was beautiful, Christina. Um, so I found my cards. So this is actually um, the tools for reading sound cards. And so for our listeners, it has a picture of a cat and then it has C, K, and then C, K. And so if you were going to have this in your, in your classrooms, you would cover the graphemes that you haven't taught. And then as you teach them, you would uncover them. I know a lot of people use sticky notes. So they use cute little lock pictures, um, just kind of build up the excitement of, oh, we get to unlock a new sound today. But it's an order from the most common spelling to the least common spelling but it has all of them. So if they know, they hear, they can see um, that it's the cat to give that visual cue, or even when they're reading, right? Maybe they come to the CK and they have to think about what that spelling is because maybe they are confused between CK and CH. And so that visual cue gives them that cue again, that it's like, and not. So like for the S or the J, for example, would they have the soft C and G sounds on that, on the sound wall? Yeah. Like they would be maybe second in line because it's so, 
Okay. She's holding up the S one and it's got, it's got a lot of letters on it. You guys, so it's like a picture of a sun and we're going to link in the show notes to tools for reading. You'll recognize that their colors are very primary colors. It's like red, yellow, blue, and green. And so we'll link to their materials in the show notes, but the sun card has S on it and SS on the left. And then under the sun picture on the right, it says C E C I and C Y. So that is a lot of graphemes. Mm-hmm. to represent one sound and it's not just for snake <laughs> which would yeah. be typically what would the, would be on the alphabet word wall right right and so we know that c represents the sound when it's next to e i and y and even though you may not learn that until you are in second third fourth grade it still exists within our within our spelling patterns and so we want to make sure that we're representing all of those spelling patterns for our 44 phonemes. Um, so I have actually done the process of setting up um, a sound wall myself, and it, it's in my home classroom when I do tutoring. So um, I was surprised how um, elaborate it was when I first set it up, and I wasn't as um, I wasn't quite sure exactly how I was going to use it. I had read the Louisa Motes. I knew it was really important. I, you know, made sure I had really great um, mouth um, symbols on the one that I had purchased, as well as, um, you know, the the letters nice and big, and then a matching picture um, for each of them. So I'm just curious if you can kind of walk us through how to set up um, a sound wall. Because I think this is really key to understanding it. Yeah, definitely. So we're going to break sound walls into those two different categories again. One focusing on vowels and one focusing focusing on consonants. So in a traditional vowel valley sound wall, you will see it set up in a V. And the reason why it's set up in a V is because it helps us draw our attention to the manner and the place of articulation within our mouth. And so that's for both, both sound walls draw attention to manner and place of articulation within our mouths. In a vowel valley, you are going to see within the V, the very first sound on the top left is going to be where our mouth is the highest and it's the most forward within our mouth. So the sound E. And then as we move through the different vowel sounds, our mouth moves uh, down. So you're going to see E, I, A, and then all the way to the lowest point on the vowel V, which is AH. That's why it's called the doctor sound, because your mouth is the most rounded and it's the most open. And then as you go back up to the right side of the V, your mouth starts to close more and the sounds start to come from further back within your mouth. So you'll start to see the uh and ah, uh, and then eventually you'll get to the top right, which is that oo and u um, sounds. And so that's going to be where our mouth is the most closed and it's further back. In the middle of that V, you'll see a standalone upside down E looking symbol. And that is our schwa sound. Um, the schwa is found in unaccented syllables. So it's that uh bout or the uh and banana. We know that it's represented with a different letter than the letter U, but it can often sound like uh or it and is a speech sound. So we want to make sure that we're representing it. And then on the bottom, you'll see uh, diphthongs represented, those oi and ow. Um, diphthong means with two sounds. So when we say those sounds, our mouths are actually gliding together. Um, so for oi, our mouth starts really forward and close and pulls back. And with ow, it's the opposite. We start open and move forward. And then on the right side, you'll have our, our controlled vowels, r, er, and or um, making sure that those are represented as well. With our consonant sound wall, you uh, again are going to be focusing on where in our mouth that sound is coming from. And you'll also see that sounds are classified as voiced or unvoiced. And so Mary, that's where you were talking about if they could feel that vibration. Um, So sounds that are voiced are like, Mm, 
or you can feel your vocal cords moving um, versus an unvoiced sound like and where our vocal cords are not turning on. And the way that it's organized is that you are looking if you look at the left side of your face, it's going from the front of your mouth to the back of your mouth. So you'll start with sounds that are really forward, like and and then eventually you work your way back to sounds like, mm, which is coming from the furthest back point, your glottal area of your, uh, of your mouth. And so it's separated. Uh, it's not in a fancy V it's more so in like a chart. Um, but the importance of it is that it's drawing attention to what we call minimal pairs. So sounds that we articulate in the same place within our mouth. But the only difference or one of the main differences is that it's the difference of voicing. So for p and b, our mouth does the same exact thing. It's just a matter of us turning on our vocal cords. So what's important about this uh, awareness is that if you have a student who was writing cat for bat, it may not be that they just they, they need to focus on the vocalization of the sound. So that way it's a simple, easy fix that once they are aware of it, they can make that change. So it's really going to be helpful for, oh, it's not P, it's B, but why is it that spelling? Why is it that sound? Yeah, I um, am working with um, a couple kids who are kindergartners now. They happen to be twins and one has a fairly significant um, articulation disorder. And so um, I have found that my sound wall has been so helpful because he's a kid who tends to delete sounds. He tends to delete the SH and the CH um, especially. And so I can vocalize it for him, but then I'm also matching it with the grapheme so that he knows because and his classroom teacher was starting to notice. And I started to notice as well when he's writing his sounds, he's listening very carefully to himself making those sounds. And so if you have a student who has some articulation issues, it can become problematic if you're not being very explicit about the grapheme sounds. So whatever I was teaching special ed, I always made best friends with the SLP because speech pathologists are just so amazing when it comes to giving just great little cues or tricks to um, for corrections without shutting a kid down. Um, and so I have found that um, the SLPs often gave me tricks like this. Like I would do, I would stretch the E out to make um, an S sound and I would really, you know, overly make my, um, my face the, the um, same shape as what I was wanting. So SLPs have been doing this forever. So if you happen to be someone who's struggling with sound wall, or if this is just so new to you, chat up an SLP, they are genius when it comes to this. And it might just be, you know, when you're working on your um, short I is sound, it might just be pointing up because it happens to be a taller sound in your mouth when you're making that sound. Or, um, you know, the ah tends to be easy, but I found that especially with kids who drop consonants or kids who have difficulty with consonants, the sound wall has been so helpful. Um, and I see them using those visual cues more often than, um, than I had even anticipated. So another good trip. Take trip trick of the trade. <laughs> My best friend is an SLP, so um, I rely on her constantly. If I have a student who has um, articulation just confusions. And if I don't know how to, how to help with my tips, she definitely is the one who will help me out. I'm wondering if those Phoenicians, if like they were thinking about the mouth when they even like came up with the symbols to even record the graphemes, you know, cause I've been, um, when I do like a short, uh, when I do a short vowel sort, I tell the students that the A and the, the short A and the short O or circle mouth sounds like ah and ah, like you, your mouth is pretty much making a circle and then they're represented by a circle versus the I, like Mary's saying is kind of up and down and the E is left and right. Like the E is written. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you explained how to set up a sound wall so well. Um, I appreciate that. And it makes me, it makes it 
Mary has set up one, but I have not. So it makes it seem more approachable to me. We are also going to link to a video and some pictures with what that sound wall looks like because we know we're doing this all in oral discussion. And sometimes you need you really need to see it to understand it. So uh, check out our show notes to see the pictures and the videos. But now tell us what happens next after you've set up that sound wall. How do you use it? You don't start with everything right away. You've already kind of mentioned that, but just tell us, like, how do you use it with, with your own students and how can other teachers use it? Yeah. So um, a fun fact is that I actually don't have my own classroom. So I do not have a sound wall set up within my own personal space. I am a cart teacher. So I have the privilege of um, pulling out students in various spaces within my building. But I have a I use an individual sound wall. And so what that looks like is um, students start off, they come to me, we have all of the different, uh, you know, sounds that I, that we begin with, but I don't have any graphemes or letters on our individual sound wall that represent those sounds yet. And so I give them a blank, uh, a blank vowel valley and a blank consonant chart. Um, and so as I introduce the different sounds, they fill them in onto their own individual sound walls. In our building, we have shifted to using sound walls completely in our K-2 classrooms. And so that actually looks different depending on what grade level you teach. In kindergarten, you are not going to get to those vowel teams. You're not going to necessarily get to those diphthongs. But as you introduce the different sounds, you want to either put them up and add them. Um, or my preference is to have them up, but locked. So as you uncover the different sounds within our speech language, you are revealing to students, oh, this is how we spell it. And so something that we're actually talking about right now is having all, in kindergarten, you're having and showing that there are so many different ways to represent how we spell these sounds but telling them, oh, you're going to unlock more in first grade. And then in first grade, they start off, all the sounds are locked. We do a review of short vowel sounds and our consonants at the beginning of the year. And so they unlock them as they go, and then they unlock more. And then in second grade, that's when they tend to have the whole, uh, the whole chart uncovered, especially because they they get into a lot of tricky things in second grade. And so it really is this discovery of you are explicitly teaching these sounds, but students are adding more spelling patterns to their repertoire of knowledge. And so we want to make sure that what we're introducing to students is appropriate. So if you have a first grader who is ready to learn those new vowel patterns beyond maybe silent E or even some of your long A spellings, for example, it's great to have that individual sound wall because you can teach them that if they're ready for it. So it's a wonderful way to provide some differentiation within your classroom, but also making sure that you are, you know, you can make it really exciting. When, it, when our students have to unlock a new sound, they get so excited because we have the little locks that we put out on and cover all of those different phonemes and graphemes for those phonemes. I love that idea. I've never heard of the locks, but I think that that's really special. And you're right. Kids find so much pleasure in like, oh, I'm getting older. I have more sounds. Look at how many sounds we had at the beginning of the year. Look how many we have now. Um, I, this is awesome. This is, you're super helpful with this, um, all of this information. Can you talk a little bit about how it works when kids are doing um, dictation or independent writing? Yeah. So I am a huge part of um, phoneme graphing mapping. And so using those sound boxes. So um, when I am more towards the beginning of me introducing a new sound, I will use those sound boxes forever and ever and ever, but I use them a lot when we're first practicing a new sound. So if we're practicing the new sound um, or the new spelling of as CK, my students will know that they, if we're spelling sock, they know saw and k, 
And if they are having a hard time remembering, they can, we, we do a lot of different, you know, jingles and things to help, but they can go to their sound wall and think, oh, this is the new sound that I just added. I know that this is the, or the new spelling that I just added. This is the way that I am going to practice spelling this sound. When it comes to, um, you know, independently writing, we go back to that brave spelling. If students have, you have taught these skills, you have explicitly taught when to use these patterns, what these patterns uh, represent for the sound, they are then able to look at your sound wall, whether it's the vowel valley or the consonant sound wall, and think, oh, here are the sounds that I know and I hear in this word, and here are the letters that I'm using to represent those sounds. So it's really helpful both um, when you're dictating just single words, when they're independently writing, or even if you dictate a sentence, right? We want to make sure that we're having students apply um, all of their skills together. And so making sure that we're having them write sentences with words that have those sounds. They have all these tools now that they can use to access their knowledge. So like in your curriculum and scope and sequence, if you got to the floss rule, like you could almost unlock that double S and the double F and the double L, like all at the same time, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, because those are spelling patterns that we have, we want to make sure that those are up on our sound wall with all of the different, one of the ways that they unlock. So double S represents, double Z represents Z and double L represents O. So um, if you could do a multi unlock in a day, man. I can, I can only imagine, yeah, mm -hmm. I can only imagine how excited your students may and be. So what you're actually doing is you're, every time you unlock a sound, you're giving the students another way to represent that sound. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's growing their orthographic mapping skill, or I guess their, and their grapheme, their capacity, like their capacity, right? Like, okay, now I have choices for how to spell the long a before maybe i just wrote the letter a because i didn't know what else to write but now i can do a letter e you know a magic e or i could do ai or i could do ay and they have more choices right but yes. you also have them organized and that's you know which one is more common and things like that Yes. And then we also want to make sure that we are teaching when to use the different spellings, right? We were introducing, let's go back to that floss rule. We're introducing that SS can represent, but when do we use it? Because we don't, you may introduce it. And then all of a sudden you're going to see SS at the beginning of a word, whereas, you know, we only use it at the end of a word after a short vowel sound. But a lot of that comes back to teacher knowledge. I didn't know those things until I, I mean, I learned some of them in letters, but that's not the primary focus, right? I didn't learn a lot of the stuff until I went through my Orrin Gillingham training. And I'm sitting here thinking, I have been teaching for five years and I didn't know any of this. And so when my students were like, well, why is it that way? I would always say, I don't know. English is crazy. I, I have no idea why it's like that. It just is. And so it, learning that knowledge was absolutely um, life-changing for me. Between that- I have to echo that so much. It's amazing. I was just floored when I first did my Orton Gillingham training and I thought, what in the world? I had no idea. English is not as complicated, but you have a lot of vocabulary that you think is going to be so overwhelming for kids. But I don't think that that's necessarily true. Even today, I was doing um, my drill with kids, which is where you use word cards and you are flashing phonemes and they say the letter sound and what letters are there. We were also sorting those into consonants, digraphs, and vowels. And that was with my kindergartners. They know the difference that um, consonants and consonant blends are different than a digraph because a digraph has two letters that make one sound. Um, and so even though that is kind of complex, and I probably didn't learn that until college, and even then I may have just heard it in one ear and out the other, um, you know, like the diphthongs, the, those are you know, those are also complex. And so we tend to break down the jargon in our podcast. And I think it's super 
um, helpful for people because it's not as scary as you think, especially when you can see kids taking ownership of it. But I love that kids can own their errors with a sound wall. I think that's the part that I really want to capitalize on. So you can say, um, you know, you're spelling the word play, P-L-A-Y. Oh, how come it's not P-L-A-I? What did we learn, you know, two weeks before when we learned, oh, whenever a consonant or excuse me, whenever a syllable ends and it has the long A sound, it's got a consonant in front. It's going to have an A-Y at the end. It's, it doesn't have a consonant following it. And so they can take ownership for even stating those rules. And for the kids that I'm teaching with dyslexia, that is so powerful. It's powerful for them to have that knowledge. And I think now that kids are more aware of it too, peer coaching and peer teaching is really helpful too, because like I was stating before, when we have small group, the kids will say, Oh, I know how I know that. I can share, if you look at this visual, remember back, or I know that this word is spelled this way because, and those little stories make such a difference for kids. So I think this is another visual tool that is so helpful in um, giving autonomy to students and their spelling. Awesome. Thank you for this. I also know, you know, or going to these trainings isn't feasible for everybody, right? Um, especially when you have, uh, little ones at home, you have a lot on your workload. And so, um, a book that I highly recommend if you are someone who is looking to understand these different spelling patterns and why that we use these, uh, different rules within our English language is uncovering the logic of English by Denise Ede. Um, I, I just started reading it this month. I posted about it on Instagram two weeks ago. Yes. Um, I led a book study over the summer with Hannah at reading with Mrs. F. Um, and we read the book together. We dove into the rules together. Um, and it was wonderful just to kind of hear how things started to click in place for folks um, who never learn this and don't necessarily have maybe the time or their schools don't have the resources to send them to these trainings. So it's an easy read. It breaks it down nicely. Um, and Denise has a lot of really great blog posts as well. If you have any other questions as you're reading. We'll make sure that we link it in our show notes um, for folks that want to check that book out. Great. Thanks so much for that recommendation. We love resource recommendations. Speaking of resource recommendations, um, you also have um, an individual sound wall that you have on your Teachers Pay Teachers page too. So we'll make sure that we link that for you too. Are there any other resources you recommend for sound walls? Um, the tools for reading, you just showed those. Mm -hmm. Yep, so the tools for reading, I highly recommend um Meredith from Creativity the Core she has a lot of really great blog posts and resources Louisa Motes's speech to print book is a wonderful read um if you're someone who is interested in learning more about sound walls or even just how we learn to read in general um Voyager Sopris also has some blog posts that you can check out I know that um we had talked about mentioning a couple of those in the show notes so you guys can look forward to those as well Sounds good. Well, is there anything else you want reading teachers to know about Soundwalls while you're here? We've covered a lot so far. We have covered a lot. Um, I think it, it's easy to become overwhelmed when you are first looking to implement these things in your classroom. And so my number one piece of advice is if you're looking to implement this, pick one, pick one part, pick one part, whether that's going to be your vowel valley or your consonant chart, and introduce that to your class and practice with it and practice getting used to it and introducing your students to it and then introduce the other part as you go on because we know that sometimes implementing one thing all at once can be scary and it can be something that you put up and you have really great intentions about using it and then it kind of just like ah, I don't know where the time went and now I have this thing it looks great and I know it's a great resource, but we're not using it to its fullest capacity. So start at one step, 
Um, no one's going to, to come in and, and, you know, say, oh, you should be doing both of them. It'd be great. But it's also, we have to think about the reality of one, we're teaching in the middle of a pandemic. Number two, we're teaching in a, a space in which we may be virtual one day, we may be at home, you know, we may be in the building the next, we don't know what our, our day-to-day or even our week-to-week may bring for us. And so one step at a time, no matter what you are trying to implement within your classroom to align your instructional practices to the science of reading, it one step at a time is all you need to do and you are going to be doing wonderful things for your students. Such good advice from another reading teacher that's actually in the trenches and doing the work right now of teaching in a pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really wonderful advice, especially I think just that one step at a time. It's like almost starting diets, right? <laughs> like a little, a little here, but keep going a little step forward, a little bit more. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Um, but yeah, I, I think that you know, as we usually do in the Reading Teachers Lounge, we're trying to give you things that you we recommend that you um, can take on just a little bit at a time, even take on the next day. So if you were to print the individual sound wall and check it out and maybe just go through and, and check yourself how many explicit sounds have you already taught your kids and just kind of monitor for yourself and see if there are any other connections that you can make and let that be your, your task for tomorrow. Um, and then, you know, maybe it will slip in your next lessons, but, um, yeah, take good care of yourself, keep learning, keep moving forward. And just like us, find people who are, um, working smarter and not harder. (laughs) And when they know more, they do, when they know better, they do better, which is kind of the theme of this year. Christina, where can people find you online? Remind them again, because I know they're going to want to see pictures of your sound wall and what you're doing with your students. Yes, you can find me on Instagram at literacy with Mrs. E. And you can also find me on Teachers Pay Teachers at um, literacy with Mrs. E as well. Thanks we so much to for both your of time those. today. Yes, we'll link to both of those. And thank you so much for your time. We really appreciated chatting with you today. And um, we're definitely going to keep up with you because you've got some great resources and you have such a lovely way of explaining um, these kind of difficult topics. So um, thank you so much for that too. Uh, All right. Thank you. You really slipped in like very simple definitions of a grapheme and a phoneme and a morpheme. And we we actually, it's like, we almost had a little linguistics class here, Um, but in a very casual, fun way. So I appreciate it. I'm very impressed. Anytime, anytime. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.